change around my team. Yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up. Welcome to Podscooby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, the Ticats are back from their bye week this week. And while we did not take a break or a week off last week, we did do a show. We also didn't take a week away from watching a Ticats game. Mike, we recorded our first ever watch along for Patreon, where we sat down and watched the 1998 East final between the Ticats and the Montreal Alouettes in its entirety. Yes, the famous Aussie kicks the game winner at the last second game. How did you like your experience of kind of reliving 1998 all over again? I had a really good time. What about you? I thought it was great. You know, we had a ton of stuff to talk about, as we always do when we get together. But, you know, just reliving our our young ages at that time. You know, I was 13, you were 16, I believe. So we we're both, yep. you know, in our teenage years, just to soak in, you know, just seeing the old stadium, the old players that we grew up kind of idolizing during that era and uh, just talking about the 90s, it was a, it was a ton of fun, and I think that people who listen to it and watched a lot watch along will have a great time as well. Yeah, it was really like you mentioned seeing the old stadium. You mentioned like the old commentators were there, those old players. Like it really brought back a lot of a lot of good memories. Obviously, the team winning the game helped as well. One of the more iconic games in franchise history. I think I said when we recorded, maybe a little bit after. Uh, it's definitely one of the most important games of, of that generation's fandom, right? Like that's, we were hooked already, but if, if you weren't, that's a, the type of game that can hook you a last second game winning field goal from 50 plus yards at the gun. Like that, that those, those are the things that, that memories are made of. If, if I'm not, if I'm not being too bold in making that statement, but yeah, it was just nice to sit back. I was worried going into it. Like, how are we going to do almost three hours here and it flew by in no time things from the game. I remembered things from the game that I forgot things from, from the game that happened. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh yeah. Like the dude that blew the whistle. I had completely forgotten about that. And then when that happens, we were both kind of like, Oh, it's the whistle thing. Like that was fun. And you just seeing those players again, it, it, it made it feel like it was yesterday, even though it was close to 25 years ago. Yeah. And it's just funny how like I, forgot most of the game except for certain points in the game like that almost interception by the tie cats near the end of the game it went right mm-hmm. through joe vaughn's hands i think and that it was kind of like a flashback for me oh i remember that because i freaked out because i thought they were gonna get an interception there it turned into a touchdown and then we know what happened after that so and just talking about you know we never we didn't know each other back then but we have some of the same memories from going to the stadium right like the the i mentioned the megaphone guy and you're like oh i remember the megaphone guy and i was like oh like i didn't make that up in my mind so it was yep. just it was just fun to go back and reminisce 
and then seeing some of the fans in 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 the video it's like oh there's the guy that wears the top hat there's the 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 mm-hmm. older lady that paints her face and wears the gloves and seeing stuff like that really kind of just tickled that nostalgia bone so if you want to listen to us reminisce about essentially everything 1998 for about three hours head on over to patreon we have a uh, we have the show up there now it's uh it's one of the more daunting undertakings that we took but i think it's one of the more fun ones and if if it ends up getting some good reception, we do plan on doing some other ones in the future. There are a number of games out there that uh, that are available through uh, maybe not necessarily legal means, you know, if you know what I mean. But there are definitely some people out there that are uploading some things, and and you can find them if you, if you look. Not even necessarily hard enough. Sometimes it's just a quick Google search, and you can find what you're looking for. So if 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 the reception to the 1998 East Final Watch Long is good, we will definitely do some more in the future. Maybe try to make it a monthly thing or an every couple months thing. We don't want to burn through the the content too quickly, though, do we? No, because you know there there is uh, a good number of games out there. But if we did it weekly, then uh, we we would burn through it pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's get into some current stuff then. We'll keep the past in the past as nice and fuzzy those memories are. We got to move on to things that are actually happening in the here and now. And while there was not a lot of Ticats news to discuss since the team was thankfully off last week, we do have some things to touch on. Most notably, we will start with the punishment for Chris Edwards, who was fined the maximum amount allowed by the collective bargaining agreement for his post-game shove of Montreal Alouettes receiver Austin Mack following Hamilton's loss to the Owls in week three. Before the fine was announced, Mike, there were a lot of opinions on what Edwards' punishment should be, with some going as far as saying he should be released by the team and banned from playing in the league altogether. The CFL office did not go that far, but what did you make of Edwards getting a max fine? Was that too stiff of a punishment, not stiff enough, just right? What's your say on this, Mike? I'm going to say not quite stiff enough. I like the maximum fine, but I think... I think he should have got a one-game suspension. That was just, you know, no one got injured or anything like that, but I just think he showed that he hasn't really changed since his his, uh, previous, you know, actions in this league. So I think a one-game suspension, and I think that maybe the team should have gave him a one-game suspension. I I don't think that the maximum fine is enough to make him change his ways. So I think he should have got more. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the suspension thing, too. I disagree with the team imposing any sort of sanctions, and I'll get to that in a second. But I have seen that as well. Like, there's there's obviously been some, like like I said, there are people saying the team should release him and that he should be barred from playing in the league. And to me, that's that's just ridiculous. For what he did, that's even if he has a, a history of these things, that, that punishment wouldn't fit the crime for me in this instance. Uh, but I do think that a one-game suspension would have been warranted. If this is not a first. If this was a first-time thing, I can see you being a little more lenient. Oh, it was a spur-of-the-moment, hot-headed thing. But he has, does have a history of this, and I would... I think I would have been okay. I, I I won't say I would have. I definitely would have been okay with a one-game suspension. I'm not surprised that it was simply a, a max fine, which is one half of a game check. But I think that the reason I, I say that the suspension is warranted, for me at least, is that he did it post-game. So there's really no ill effects to his team for his conduct. It just affects him, which maybe in a way is is how it should be. Like, it's not as if the team did anything to to bring this about. It's not as if, you know, Orlando Steinhardt's out there like, go shove that guy and knock him to the ground. Like it was clearly the actions of one person. So him being the only one to suffer any punishment for it, I guess is a good thing. But at the same time, the team does employ him. And in instances where you see stuff like this, that if this would have happened in the second quarter, then there's a 15 yard penalty and there's, there's ramifications there. There really aren't any other than the fine. 
And I guess I'm kind of of two minds about that. But I, I do think I'm with you in that the suspension, a suspension would have been warranted. And I don't think there would have been too many people that would have been even Ticat fans that would have been uh, too upset about that. But what I will push back on, Mike, is what you said about maybe the team imposing something. I think it's fine that the team doesn't do anything. I think this is leave it leave it up to the league office to to hand out discipline. You know what I mean? Like I get the idea that maybe the team should should put the hammer down a little bit here and maybe should show that this type of stuff isn't needed or desired on this squad. But I also understand the idea of the league handles discipline like this. If the league would have thought that a one game suspension was warranted, they would have handed one out. They think this is only a finable offense. I think the team is, isn't well within their rights and, and it makes sense to me that, that they don't punish him any further. That's fair. And you know, we're, we were going to get to the, what Orlando Steinhauer said. And I just think that if this isn't who we are, there should be some punishment on, on Chris Edwards from the team. If this isn't who we are, we brought in guys like Chris Edwards and maybe he should have been banned from the league when they went into the stands and fought high cat fans. You know, it's like, and remember, that's an egregious. Don't, okay, and don't forget ahead. about that. He got a six game suspension for that. And it was reduced by the league without appeal to three games. So, the league mm-hmm. likes to hand out these massive penalties. And then we saw it before with, I think, Greg Ellingson was suspended and didn't miss any time. Uh, who else was there? There was someone. Oh, it was Jonathan Rose. Do you remember when Jonathan Rose in the 2018 East Final shoved a referee on the sideline and he got a yes. one-game suspension but then appealed it, played in the Grey Cup, and then the offseason came mm-hmm. and the suspension was never dealt with, like he just was allowed to play? This is something the league will do, in, especially if they can kind of sweep it under the rug. If they thought that that and I and I agree, I think Edward should have been suspended the, the six games that he was for the uh, the incident in 2021. And I think I do wonder if that had been upheld, if it's like, oh, that's like what he did there was so out of line that it's worthy of a third of the season. Maybe they could come down and then say, oh, well, this year, this is definitely worth a game. So I think in the, in a way, the league kind of backed themselves into a corner by being so lenient the first time around with something that was much worse than what we saw last week. Right. And, you know, you can you can compare it to the malice at the palace. I mean, it maybe mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as that, but I mean, the guy was swinging at fans in the stands. So um, and I, I can't remember what the ramifications were for the players that were involved. in that uh, Ron, Ar- Ron Artest got the rest was suspended for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jermaine O'Neal got 30 games and I think Steven Jackson got 20 or something or 30. There were like Ron Artest, I think, the, and that was early in the season when that, so if for anyone that doesn't know the Malice in the Palace is, I think it was from 2004, Detroit Pistons are playing the Indiana Pacers in Detroit and a fan throws a drink at Ron Artest. It's near the end of the game. A fan throws a drink at the Pacers, Ron Artest. He goes into the stands and starts fist fighting people. And it was very, and I remember when the Chris Edwards things happened, that's the first thing that came to mind is like, oh, this is very reminiscent. <laughs> of that incident and another there's another Argo player like if you watch that video you go back and find it there's another Argo player in the stands too and look I'm not sitting yeah. here and saying Ticat fans are are blameless in this there, there are a bunch of idiots that did a bunch of stupid things after that game and they deserve to have been dealt with in, in the manner that they were dealt with but as a, a fan can't go on the field and a player can't go in the stands it's as simple as that so what Chris Edwards did was was wrong and then of course there was the John Murphy thing of it all and that kind of right. overshadowed in some ways because yeah, of the did he ever that come back to the Argos did he John come back Murphy? to the Argos they, yeah I remember John, there was John Murphy works for him right now yeah okay yeah I remember I I know I just never saw the official announcement maybe there was they an never official made announcement. yeah because yeah because of 
Because, um, because yeah. if they make an official announcement, it makes pinball look like all he cares about is winning. And pin, mm. you got to protect pinball's image. And I'm not here to say pinball's a bad guy. I think it's the exact opposite of that. But let's not act like Pinball Clemens is some guy now. We we now see – because here's the thing with Pinball, and we've discussed this on the show before. You've taken some heat from Argo fans for saying Pinball's not the real GM. And it's either Pinball – and those guys fight back. No, no, no. He's making all the decisions. Either Pinball's making the decisions as the GM and president of the club or he's not. And if he is, then he brought back John Murphy knowing full well what John Murphy was. And now if you go on social media, you kind of see John Murphy. He's out there almost on anything LGBTQ plus related is – talking about how he's changing all that other sorts of nonsense but we i, I don't want to get into that stuff right now but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i just thought it's kind of interesting that people want to want to put pinball up on this pedestal of he always does things the right way and yet here he is bringing back a guy like john murphy and he brought back chris edwards the following year too let's not forget that that's chris true came yeah. to the tie cats this year it's not as if they cut him after that instance so all those argo fans being like oh the tie catch you get rid of chris edwards he's a he's a hothead he's doing this and Honestly, to their credit, I have not seen a lot of Argo fans rip on the Ticats for for keeping Edwards around or any of that. I've just seen them saying, I'm glad he's not with us anymore. So in that respect, I will kind of give them the benefit of the doubt here. I don't see a lot of – because you're, you're a hypocrite if you're if you're sitting there going, oh, well, Chris Edwards should be banned for taking a shove at, a, at another player when it's like, well, he played for you last year, helped you win a great cup. You didn't give a shit then, so why do you right. care? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get you, but getting back to Orlando yeah, get, and Back and to where we were. Yeah, yeah, we always do this. We always do this. I just think that when maybe it's happened, maybe maybe Orlando has talked. I'm sure he has talked to Chris Edwards, telling him that we don't want this reputation. But it's tough when you bring guys in like that with those past, right? I mean, you bring in Chris Edwards, you bring in Duke Williams, and Duke Williams has been a model citizen. I have yep. nothing bad to say about him on the Tie Cats, but you know, you bring in guys like that, and you run the chance of these kind of things happening. So. Uh, I hope he has it under control now and we can move forward because, you know, we just don't want that as our reputation. Yeah. And so the quote you're mentioning was is in the very in the immediate aftermath. And I, I, the reason we bring this up, is because I don't think we talked about it on the, on the last show we did right after this game is that he said, that's not who we are. That's exactly what you said. And that's a direct quote from Orlando Steinhardt on the post game. Uh, the thing is, so the way I look at it is, Chris Edwards, I know he has a reputation. Duke Williams has a reputation. And to, to even put those two guys in the same sentence right now, I think it's unfair to Duke. I see a lot of the comparisons, mm-hmm. but I can tell from I can tell you from firsthand experience, from what I've seen from Duke, it's not what we heard reported in Saskatchewan. You know what I mean? Like he's not been a problem. It's the, we and you see it on the field. Like this team is losing and losing pretty badly. You don't see him th- uh, like blowing no. up at his teammates or no, he's playing well too. He is. He, he leads the league in receiving. Did you yeah. did you realize that he's the league leader in receiving? So he's been a he's been a like you said a model citizen. But the way I look at it is Chris Edwards. He's on a new team. I think you kind of start with a with the team, not with the league, but with the team. You kind of start with a blank slate. So this is kind of strike one. If something like this happens again, I think we could see the team meet out some punishment. But if it happens yeah. again, the league will also step in and do the same. So I kind of understand where the Tie Cats are coming from. But I, I do agree with you that. Steinhauer making that comment and then not really backing it up. Like it's, it's words are hollow unless it's met with action mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I, but I, I, so I understand where you're coming from is what I'm trying to say. But, I, but at the same time, I kind of understand what the team's perspective is like this guy here, this has been the one thing. Well, not that you let it slide, but you kind of like, okay, we know he has a reputation. He's shown this now. Now we kind of have like a zero tolerance thing going. And we'll see if there's any other instance in the future what the team does. And then if it's if it's the same old, you know, 
hollow words that Steinhauer says post game or post practice or whatever it is the next time Chris Edwards, ho- hopefully he doesn't do it, but the next time he does do something like this, if it, if it's the same thing met with no actions, well then we can sit here and we can rip into them a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Then we can really uh, yeah, go after them. Yeah. So that's kind of it for Ticats news, to be quite honest with you. They, they made a one move over the bye week. They cut a backup punter. But quite frankly, that's not something we're going to really cover in depth here. I might touch on it on the next episode of what's happened in Tiger Town over on Patreon. But I think it's just time to move on to our game for this week, Mike. And we're going to play another round of one correct answer. If, if you recall, this is kind of a reworked title from some of the games we've played in the past. Going to ask Mike and I, we're going to have some questions here about what's going on in the CFL. They're going to have three options. We're going to pick which one we think is the right one. Mike, are you ready to go? Yeah, buddy. Let's do this. All right, so this past weekend saw the CFL starting debuts of Edmonton Elks quarterback Jarrett Dagey and Ottawa Red Blacks quarterback Tyree Adams. Adams got the best of this matchup, leading his Red Blacks to a 26-7 victory, their first of the season, which also happened to snap their 13-game home losing streak. Neither QB lit the world on fire with Adams completing 70% of his passes for 185 yards and one touchdown, while Daigie completed 57% of his passes for 223 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. The CFL is kind of in desperate need for some exciting youth at the quarterback position. So, Mike, who has the brighter future in the league? Is it Jared Daigie, Tyree Adams, or neither? I'm going to go with Daigie, and I know that the numbers in the first week he started don't really you know, scream superstar or anything like that. But I did like him in college uh, at West Virginia. I thought he was a pretty good player. And I just think that that offensive line at Edmonton, you can't really judge him, his play right now, because he's just, he's, he's being thrown into the fire. And, you know, if you get someone in front of him, then I could give a real judgment about how good he's going to be. But I haven't, I haven't, I don't know much about this Adams kid. Um, Obviously he played better in the game this week, but I'm going to go with Diego. See, I, I don't think either of these guys really has much of a future, honestly. That's fair. I think Diego's future is brighter in the sense that I think he has a longer career in the CFL than Tyree Adams, but I don't think either of these guys are going to be starters, like long-term franchise guys, so, so to speak. Adams, yeah, he had better passing numbers, but he did a lot of dinking and dunking. You know what I mean? Like it was a lot of short stuff that receivers took for extra yards. They relied heavily on the run game, which is a smart thing to do with a young quarterback. And Daigie just looked out of his depth. And again, you mentioned all the reasons why I think you're, he had such a poor outing. He looked pretty good in relief of uh, Taylor Cornelius against the Argos a week before that. But this one, when he gets the starters reps, he just looked it didn't help. that He didn't have Geno Lewis, but he just looked kind of out of it. Almost mm-hmm. like it almost as if like he he finally saw the the fast speed of the game for the first time. And is like, oh, this is what yeah. it's like. And and a lot of young players go through that, too. So it's not necessarily that I think these guys are bums and, and aren't worth salvaging. I just don't think either of them. I don't think in five years time we're talking about either of these guys leading leading a franchise at any point. So, yeah, I get, unfortunately have to go with neither on that one. My colleague at Three Down Nation, J.C. Abbott, recently did a post on a temperature check for the league's nine head coaches. And he rated Hamilton's Orlando Steinhauer as being on the hottest seat with Edmonton's Chris Jones not far behind. I want to stress enough that this is simply one person's opinion and it's not the be all end all. So anyone who's angry about these things, as you know, when you always see a list of anything, 
People get angry, but it's a, it's simply a person's opinion. There's no reason to lose your mind over it. That said, I don't necessarily know if he's all that far off, quite frankly. The Ticats and the Elks are combined 0-7. The Ticats are in another Grey Cup hosting year, made a ton of changes in the offseason to ensure that their participation in that game would take place. While the Elks are in year two of, the jo- of Jones's second tenure with the team, and things are not going as well as many had hoped there. Both teams came into the season with expectations that they would be better than this, and they have both been hugely disappointing so far. So, Mike, the CFL coach on the hottest seat is Orlando Steinhauer, Chris Jones, or somebody else? I think it's got to be Chris Jones. They just, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm in this camp. I thought that they would show, you know, a lot of improvements this season, but he has botched the offensive line so poorly that – He's not giving his quarterback any chance or his receivers, the star receivers that he brought in. So he he mismanaged this roster. And I didn't see it up until, you know, they started playing the game because I thought maybe, you know, yeah, he gave away some really good offensive linemen, mostly to Hamilton. But, you know, he's got to have people to replace him, right? Nope. Doesn't have people to replace him. So Steinhauer is on the hot seat. Don't get me wrong. But Bob Young is pretty damn loyal. And I just think that uh, if if. Orlando, if something happens with this team and they're terrible, they don't make the playoffs, maybe he gets fired at the end of the year. I'm not I'm not convinced of that yet either. But I think if this keeps going downhill for Chris Jones at Edmonton, I just think that Hamilton has a better chance to turn this thing around this season after watching both these teams. And the, the atmosphere at Edmonton just really bad for the Elks right now. I mean, no one's showing up to their games anymore. There's a ton of pressure on this franchise to win, and that falls on Chris Jones. He's the guy, right? So I'm going to have to go with Jones. So I look at these two teams, and I think, and this is not an excuse-making, although some will say it is, the Ticats are dealing with a lot of injuries to key players. The Elks just don't have any talent. And they it looks like they spent money in the wrong areas, and mm-hmm. they invested in the wrong quarterback. It's got to be Chris Jones right now. And the thing I find most interesting about both of these guys is that they hold dual roles. Like Jones is the general manager and the head coach. I mean, and he's also the defensive coordinator. Steinhauer is the president of football operations and the head coach. Like, is it is it just a case of maybe it's and I understand with the football operations cap that you're going to probably see this more and more. Calgary did it recently with uh, John Huffnagel stepping down as general manager and handing that title to Dave Dickinson. And maybe and that's part the of the Peters. But that's just it. I was like, the Stamps, Dickinson, I think, has a longer lease than either of these guys just because Mm -hmm. their track record that he has in Calgary is double-digit wins and and playoff appearances. You know what I mean? Like, it's not – he hasn't had a bad season as a head coach, in my opinion. So his leash is a little bit longer. But, yeah, they're they're suffering a little bit. Maybe this idea of doing the dual roles is not exactly something coaches should be taking on. And it's just another reason why this whole football ops cap needs to be scrapped and just let teams spend whatever the hell they want to spend on whoever they want to spend it on. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference to me. But, yeah, I do think it's Jones. I just think that that team – the Ticats are extremely disappointing, but we saw the same type of start from this team last year. And then they turned it around and made the playoffs. And obviously that won't be good enough this year with all the changes they made. But if they make the playoffs again and if they if they lose in the first round or they get to the East, like I don't think anyone's going to be clam. Even if they go nine and nine and let's say they go nine, and nine and make the Grey Cup, they go nine and nine and lose in the East semi. Like, I don't think anyone it's a disappointing season, but it's not like a fail. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a failure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, but it isn't. It's not like if they go four and 14, we're having a different conversation in, in December yeah. because I think they are making a change 
to the, to the coaching staff and to the front office. But if they, if they hover around like 500, which is the Ticats way, I, I don't necessarily think that they'll make a move. Edmonton just looks like they don't have hope. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's it, like a lot of it. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't win in this league. And they clearly invested in the wrong guy. I know, I know he's your boy, but it's, it's clearly he's not he's not no, it. He I can admit when I'm wrong. I was I was wrong about that. I, I thought yeah. that he would. I he saw flashes. Yep, and he didn't. So that's that's all right. It's not. Yeah, it uh, happens. I mean, we, yeah, we all have those. Sure. Stephen Giles. I'll. I'll anytime anyone wants to whip you around, <laughs> Taylor Cornelius, I'll mention that I thought Stephen Giles was going to be the next Henry Burris. So little do little do we know sometimes, but. They invested in the wrong quarterback. You mentioned the offensive line. They got rid of a bunch of guys and didn't really have anyone to replace him. They spent a ton of money in free agency, most of it on wide receivers. It just isn't working there. And I thought Edmonton, I was with you. I, I put money down on Edmonton to, to be a better team this year. I had them in our preview show going to the playoffs. I th- I think we did, when we did our coaches power ranks, I think we both had Chris Jones as the second best head coach in the CFL we look like complete idiots now. It's like he can't coach. Yep. He can't acquire no. talent. This team, this team, they, they've scored. They've been shut out in one game and they scored seven points in the other. And I think in their home debut, I think they scored like 13 and they got stuffed on the goal. Like the offense stinks. The defense yep. is, is not doing its job, which is Jones's specialty. Like they gave up 26 points to the Red Blacks who were starting a first year. Or I guess he's a second year player, but it was his first career start. Not you an know, offense that lit the world on fire. They, they've just been bad, so it's got to be Jonesy. The game before Edmonton's last game, Taylor Cornelius was 14 of 18 and a touchdown. He was just about to break through, Josh, and then Chris <laughs> Jones pulled him at half. I mean, I would have been right, but, you know, he got pulled. That's true. That's true. You would have been right, but, you know, not, not for that damn Chris yeah. Jones. But, yeah, so it's got it's got to be Jones. Sneak, sneaky, maybe yeah. not sneaky, but I think Craig Dickinson's also someone – but the riders have looked competent. Trevor Harris is looking pretty good. If I was to pick somebody else, I think we, I, I think we'd both agree that Craig Dickinson would be, be the next guy up. But it looks like he's going to do enough to save his job there. So I think, I think Chris Jones to me. I know JC put Steinauer on the hottest seat. I think Jones is, is seats a little hotter than than Steinauer. Like you said, Bob Young's a little more loyal. I think Bob Young gives guys a lot of leeway. I, I just, I see Chris Jones uh, being shown the, the stadium day. is still packed for the Ticats. Yeah. They haven't lost 19 in a row at home. Like yeah. it's just a different situation. For sure. For sure. All right. As we record this on Monday afternoon, tonight's week four finale sees a battle of the undefeateds as the BC Lions take on the Toronto Argonauts. There has been a lot of hype for this game, especially surrounding the two quarterbacks, BC's Vernon Adams and Toronto's Chad Kelly. TSN even went so far as to ask which QB had the better start to the year, Adams or Kelly. So, Mike, excluding Winnipeg Zach Caleros, the best quarterback in the CFL right now is Vernon Adams Jr., Chad Kelly, or somebody else. I'm going to have to go with Vernon Adams Jr. Um, Chad Kelly has been really good, don't get me wrong, for the first two games. For, for a guy that's you know starting out his career in the CFL, he's looked pretty good to start. Um, but Vernon Adams seems to have taken uh, the next step perhaps you know he doesn't look like Doug Flutie or you know the one of the greats in the league but he's doing enough to comfortably win games for the BC Lions he's taken over that role after uh, you know a, 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 a great quarterback who's now in the NFL a guy that lit up the league and Nathan Rourke he's taken over that offense and yeah, it doesn't look as good as it did last year, but it's still rolling along pretty well. And it's it's a pleasant surprise because Vernon Adams has been a guy that has been, you know, shown some hot 
flashes in this league, kind of been mediocre at times and kind of been not good at times. So to see him play really well early on in the season is uh, a good thing for the league. So before I give you my answer, it's funny, you were talking about Vernon Adams, and it reminded me of a conversation we had when we recorded the watch-along for the 1980s final. We were watching the pre- and halftime shows during that, and Danny Barrett came on screen. And I, when you were describing Vernon Adams, all I could think of is, that's Danny Barrett. Right. Vernon Adams is this generation's Danny Barrett. Bit of a journeyman. How many teams has Vernon Adams been on? Gets a chance to start, looks good, but then has some struggles, gets pulled for somebody else, then gets another opportunity, looks good, up and down career. Vernon Adams is this generation's Danny Barrett. And when this question was posed by TSN, at the time, they had this, this came out before the start of this this week's games. I thought Cody Fajardo had looked better than Chad Kelly. Now, Cody Fajardo did not look very good against Winnipeg, which is fair. Most quarterbacks don't. But I was like, man, I would take Cody Fajardo over Chad Kelly right now. But if I had to pick the best quarterback in the CFL right now, that's that's not Zach Caleros. I think it's Trevor Harris. I, I as crazy as that is to say, because oh, yeah, I'm not a big yeah, Trevor yeah, Harris point. guy. He's he's he at the first game against uh, against Edmonton. He wasn't great. He gets hurt at the end. He has uh, who do they play the second week? It wasn't who did they they beat. Uh, who the heck did they beat? Calgary. They, they, yeah, was no Calgary was last week. That was that was the week two game, the, their first win. Who the hell did they beat in the first game? I can't remember off the top of my head. Can they, but they beat Calgary. He was great against Calgary, but he threw. Oh, they they lost to Winnipeg. Oh no, they beat they beat Edmonton. They lost to Winnipeg. That's who it was. He throws for like four hundred yards and three touchdowns, four touchdowns in that loss to Winnipeg. Looks right. and that's coming off the injury. He looks great in that game. Has a really good game against Calgary. I think Trevor Harris has been the second best quarterback in the league this year. Having said that. I think Vernon Adams is the MOP right now, as crazy mm-hmm. as that is to say, but because I think he's been that good. But I, if I was, to, if you were to ask me the best quarterback, which is what the question we posed, I think it's, uh, I think it's Trevor Harris. And I just don't understand. I can't get, I can't get on board the Chad Kelly hype train yet. I know we we seem to talk about this every goddamn week, but I keep seeing. I think I saw today Damon Allen came out and said like he gets better every week, and it's like, well, no shit, shouldn't that be the case? Like, shouldn't mm-hmm. a young quarterback who's starting for the first time get better every week? Like, isn't that the whole point of? grooming a guy and, and developing a guy is that they will get better. It's just, I think he's been fine. And like, I think he might have a, have a fine season, but the idea that he's going to be this, you know, we talked about it. Uh, was it last week? I think the idea that he's the most important player in the league, it he's been fine, but we just need to tamp down the, the expectations and the hype with him. Cause I just think that I think it's doing him more harm than good to be quite frank. I think if the, if the people were just like Chad, Kelly, right, let's keep doing well, it then. <laughs> Yeah, for okay, I guess I guess selfishly for sure keep doing it. But you know what I mean? Like if it was just Chad yeah. Kelly's playing pretty well, he's got he's he's kept the Argos in, in the championship picture, yada yada yada, all that other sorts of stuff. They haven't taken a step back with McLeod Bethel Thompson out there. I think it's fine. But when you're talking about him in like basically saying is he the second best quarterback in the CFL right now after two starts of where he was fine. Like I said, he was yeah. he was against fine. Let's talk about who he played against, too. Hamilton and Edmonton. Edmonton. He's got BC tonight. BC has been has had the best defense in the league this year, if I'm not correct. Um, Ryan Phillips knows what he's doing. So this is going to be the test for Chad Kelly. If he comes out and he has a magnificent game against the BC Lions, we might have to say, okay, this guy is is pretty good. But it's going to be a big test for him. And I'm not sure that he's going to come out – so well against the BC Lions and that that daunting defense. Yeah. I mean, if he comes out and plays 
the way he's played so far this season. It's another fine performance, but it's against a much better opponent. So, okay. Like, mm-hmm. again, I'm not saying I think he's trash. I'm not saying he's not worth developing. I'm just saying I'm taking my time before I start anointing him as something. But anyway, back to what we said. For <clears throat> Caleros was number one until proven otherwise, even though he wasn't that great this week against Montreal. But to me, it's Trevor Harris that that I think is the second best quarterback in the CFL right now, with Vernon Adams a very close third. I think that it's very close between those two guys. So Canada Day was this past Saturday, Mike, and many CFL fans were angry at the league for giving three teams a bye this weekend and for not playing more than one game on July 1st. Instead of a Canada Day doubleheader, we had one game on Friday, one on Saturday, and one on Monday, which is tonight, not even a Sunday night game this week. This got a lot of fans big mad that the CFL could screw up this weekend so badly, with some saying on Twitter, when it actually worked, that whoever made the schedule should be fired. So, Mike, Hmm. the CFL only playing three games this week and just one on Canada Day is being overblown, receiving a fair amount of criticism, or not receiving enough criticism. I think it's a fair amount of criticism. You know, you you choose to do the bye weeks, multiple bye weeks on Canada Day weekend doesn't make much sense to me. Um, There should be four games, not three. At least they got one on Canada Day, but I think they do need to make it more of a tradition, maybe get a doubleheader on Canada Day because it is the Canadian Football League. Um, I mean, I wasn't up in arms about this, uh, as many people were, but I do see where they're coming from. It is kind of a dumb decision not to load up games and maybe load up games that are like marquee matchups during this weekend. Try to make an early uh, Labor Day weekend of it, a tradition of it. You could have, um, you know, Canada Day weekend games and then you have your Labor Day classic games and then you could have a Thanksgiving tradition as well. So you could have three traditions during the season and they haven't done that with Thanksgiving or Canada Day. So going forward, I like to see them make more of an effort in that uh, considering, you know, the Canada Day weekend and the Thanksgiving Day weekend. That was one of the more reasonable opinions that I've seen on this. Cause to me, this is overblown. It's one game they play. It's, yeah. Cause here's the thing. It's not as if they had a full, it's not like this is the NFL where it's like they play 16 games a week and it's like on the big marquee week to go, Oh, we're going to play three. They played one fewer game than they do normal weeks. And what matchup would we have gotten? We, we, we didn't see Hamilton, Saskatchewan or Calgary this week. Okay, maybe you get the maybe you move that Ryder Stamps game from last week to this week. Or maybe you know what I like I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I will agree with you on the Canada Day thing. I think that there should have been there should be more emphasis put on that being the sort of the early season marquee. Like I remember back in the day, I mean it was only eight teams, but Canada Day weekend was when the season started. And we had some class like they would you would kind of start with a Canada Day doubleheader if it was a Friday or a Saturday. And and I think that more should be it is like you said the Canadian Football League I think more should be put into Canada. I think the idea that the schedule maker should be fired because this is a schedule like that, people are just ridiculous. And I do think that CFL fans in particular are always just looking for something to complain about. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just the thing that they could latch on to this weekend. I understand the frustration. I would have loved for another game. I would have loved for their game to have been on Sunday or not to have to wait a day in between like the Saturday game and. And and this year they've decided to go with like especially at the start of the year one game a night and there are detractors to that I I, I count myself yeah. among them and there but there are people that really like it there are people like oh I can carve out three hours uh, uh, 
to watch a game. I can't necessarily carve out six or if they ever decide to do a triple header nine. But to me, I, I, I kind of understand because it's like now I have to. Could you imagine if you're a, someone with a family who really loves the CFL, but you have younger kids or you have a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, and you have to now negotiate. OK, honey, I can't I, we can't do anything Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, because I got to watch the <laughs> CFL. Like, that's a lot to ask for somebody like it's easy uh-huh. as an NFL watcher. And you you're you watch some NFL. You also watch some college football. Mm-hmm. It's diff. It's difficult to be like, oh, I, all, all day Saturday and Sunday, I'm busy from September yeah. to January. That's a big <laughs> ask. But now, but at least then you can say like, okay, maybe I missed the college games and we go do something on Saturday, and I I get the NFL games on Sunday, and you can kind of finagle that. Being able to being saying to someone like, oh, I can't, we can't do anything four nights a week. I think is a little bit tough. But I know that that's kind of getting off the off the point here. But I just think that no matter what schedule the CFL comes out with, there's going to be something to complain about. Before the season started, it was the the tie cats don't go to Calgary and and Bo Levi Mitchell's return. And now that Bo's hurt, you don't really hear anyone talking about that because no. what if that game was scheduled for this week? What if the tie cats were going to Calgary this day? It wouldn't have mattered because Bo got hurt. So it's one of those things where I think that whatever schedule comes out, there's always going to be complaints about it. We dissect the schedule on this show when it, when it comes out and kind of nitpick at it. And I mean, I, I think, I think the bigger flaw in the schedule was Hamilton's first three games all coming against teams that didn't play the week before. I think that's a bigger, a bigger impact than, Oh, they didn't play a second game on Canada day, or there's one fewer game this week. I, I just think that CFL fans, like I said, are looking for something to be angry about. And uh, this is the thing that they latched onto this weekend. Yeah, when you put it that way, it's only one less game. Like, not a huge deal. And um, you talk about the Calgary-Hamilton matchup, and that was made, the schedule was made before Hamilton got Bo Levi-Mitchell. So, you know, the people throwing shade at them for that is a little bit, um, you know, unwarranted in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm sure it's tough to make the schedule, you know, with all the different stadiums that the, the teams don't necessarily, aren't the number one tenant. So there's a lot of difficulty going into the schedule making, I'm sure. Well, and the funny thing about that is the CFL now puts the schedule out in December, which everyone asked for. I want the schedule out earlier so I can book my vacation times for road trips and all. They used to put it out like the week before free agency. Guess what would have? Guess what we would have known if they would have waited till February to put the schedule out? That Bo Levi Mitchell was a Hamilton yeah. Tiger Cat for sure because he signed yeah. his contract extension in January. Now, maybe that makes some machinations on the schedule hard to do that close to when it would have come out. But people wanted the schedule out early, and then the schedule comes out early, but there's still things to complain about. To me, mm-hmm. it's just a classic case of CFL fans. Like, am I am I wrong in this? CFL fans just can't be happy? Is it like, do you think no, I'm yeah, I'm, think so. I'm taking it too far here? No, I think there's a large, maybe not a large chunk, but a chunk of CFL fandom that will never be satisfied. So, and, and obviously we have our complaints as well, <clears throat> uh, and there's some valid ones out there, but uh, for ticky tack stuff like this, and there's a lot of ticky tack stuff that people complain about. Maybe they, you know, we should just let it let it slide once in a while. Does anyone hate the CFL more than CFL fans? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, we're we're wrestling fans. We watch wrestling. There's a lot of tribalism in wrestling, and but like, yeah. it seems like the biggest fans of a product are also their biggest biggest critics. That's not necessarily a bad thing, in my opinion. I think I don't think being a fan of something means that you have to love it wholeheartedly and and just 
gloss over its flaws. I think there's there's criticism to be laid. The CFL gives us tons of reasons to rip it a new one for mm-hmm. some of the decisions they make. And I'm fine with that. But it just seems like any even minor miss. Because to me, honestly, the Ticats not playing in Calgary to me is a small fraction of a problem. You know what I mean? Like that's not – to me that, 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 that took over discourse. And it's still something that people bring up to me is just – it's so silly. And I think this, this thing here with what happened this past weekend. Yeah. Okay. It's maybe it's not the wisest thing in the world to not use Canada day as a great plot. Cause it's not like there's a ton of like NHL's over, although the, that was the opening of NHL free agency. And that kind of dominated the news. Like, like the CFL is never going to be the NHL when it comes to stuff like that. So, but I, I don't know. Is it, the whole thing just felt like to kind of, you know, bring it back to where we were talking about, just felt like CFL fans needing that thing to latch on to to tweet about this weekend about how angry they were at something instead of just being like, oh, we get a game on Canada Day and oh, we get a cool mm-hmm. like this this game tonight on Monday night. Like, yeah, it's a Monday night game and that's kind of weird. But at the same time, it's like this is a pretty good matchup and it's in a primetime slot on Monday night. Like, yeah. Uh, maybe they should have had that a little bit earlier in the in the in the day, you'd think. But I got you know it's TV, right? They wanted at in prime time, but to have it at 7 p.m. Eastern time on a Monday night when, you know, <clears throat> everything's open again the next day is a little bit head-scratching, but... Well, a lot, of, know, things are open, enjoy a lot of things are open here, too, though. True, like, it's true. not, it's not like, it's not, I, I, I think, I think people get a little confused as to, like, oh, Canada Day fell on a Saturday, so, like, government stuff's closed today, but at most, most stores most, and... yeah, mo- the, the things that most people do, they have to go to work today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unless unless Monday is your day off, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you work Tuesday to Friday or whatever it might be, Tuesday to mm-hmm. Saturday. But yeah, so things are still, I, I, I kind of, and you know what? They want those primetime games. And I think yeah. a Monday night primetime game, you got two undefeated teams. I don't know if it's going to attract a ton of eyeballs because I don't want to really get into a CFL ratings debate and all that other sorts of stuff. But it could be, it has the opportunity to be a, a fairly sizable audience tonight with with what we got going. So hopefully it's a good game. But we kind of went all over the place there, uh, which is usually what we do on on episodes like this, especially when we don't have a ton to talk about. But it's game preview time, Mike. So let's get into that. Saturday night will feature a matchup of the two bottom dwellers in the East Division as the Ottawa Red Blacks head to Tim Hortons Field to take on the Ticats. Ottawa earned their first win of the season last Friday when they stomped on the Edmonton Elks by a score of 26-7. to The Red Blacks used a smothering defense and 126 yards on the ground from DeMontre Tuggle to secure their first win at home since 2021. Ticats, of course, were off last week, licking their wounds after a humiliating loss in Week 3 to the Montreal Alouettes. When we looked at the schedule to start the year, I think everyone, including a fair number of Red Blacks fans, would have marked this game down as a win for the Tabbies. Now, uh, not so sure. So, Mike. What do the Ticats have to do to get the victory on Saturday and avoid falling to an 0-4 start for the second consecutive season? Well, we we won't know the answer to this question, but Josh will bring it to you if you subscribe to Patreon because he will be at practices this week. Um, Get healthy. We are banged up, and, you know, maybe guys aren't going to be healthy yet because there's quite a few guys on the sixth game, but if we get healthy, especially along the offensive line, that will be a big deal for the Ticats. Uh, limit turnovers. Okay, It's been a bit of a problem this year with turnovers. Limit turnovers, limit stupid penalties, and score touchdowns, not field goals. It's not rocket science from me this week. It never really is. But those are my <laughs> four points for the Ticats to get the victory. 
You know what? I'm not even going that deep into it. Start the game with some goddamn emotion. Like, this team starts games so flat. Like, come out hot. They did it a little bit against Montreal, that that first series. They take the, the big shot deep. It connects. But to kind of go back on your point, they settled for field goals instead of scoring a touchdown. They score a touchdown on the opening drive. Hugely different game as far as I'm concerned. So they got to start hot. They got to stop letting the game come to them, and they got to start taking control of the game right from the get-go. And the other thing is, this is going to sound like a repeat, start the second half hot. This team has been terrible in the third quarter this year. They come out of... They've been down by double digits going into halftime every single week. And the only time they really looked and they didn't even look that way that great at the start of the third quarter, but it was week one against Winnipeg. They, they put together a very decent second half, but the last two games against Toronto and Montreal, they have looked disinterested in the second half. So you got to come out. And if you're down, hopefully they're not, but if you're down, you have to get back into the game early in the second half, get that crowd back into it because it's probably going to be a pretty healthy crowd. Like you said earlier, it's not like the tie cats are suffering at the, at the gates when it comes to fans, they're getting 20, 22,000 plus routinely. Now, this is a game that should have been looked at and should still be looked at as, as a winnable game. Ottawa did not, even though they, they beat up on the Alex, they did not look super impressive and they haven't all season. So this is definitely a game that they can still win. And I got to ask, do you look at this game I know it's it's the fourth game of the season. Are you looking at it as a must win or are you in the camp of it's only a must win if you lose the game and you're out of the playoffs? Yeah, it's it's not a must win. We we you know, it's the it's the way of the CFL. You can lose a bunch of games at the start of the season and then claw back. Obviously, I don't want that to be the case this year because I feel like it's been the case the last couple of years where we get off to a slow start and then we have to win like six games in a row just to make the playoffs. I do not want that. But in my mind, it's not a must win yet. But <clears throat> it certainly wouldn't help to lose to the Ottawa Red Blacks without um, their starting quarterback in Jeremiah Mazzoli, who still isn't back from his injuries, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, I think the biggest concern here in the must win category is they're 0-3 in the division if they lose this one, having lost to all three teams. So it would also put them two, uh, four points back of Ottawa for third place you kind of give the red blocks a little bit of momentum thinking, okay, we can turn, maybe we can turn this around after the 0 and two start. It's, it's not a must win. Cause I am firmly in the camp of the only thing that's a must win is if the game is an elimination game, be it, you lose this and you don't make the playoffs, you lose this and you're out of the playoffs in a playoff game. You lose this, you don't win the championship. Like those are must win games. Everything else to me is variations of should win, can win, gotta win. This to me, I think is a gotta win game more than anything else, because now you get that first win underneath you. You look at the upcoming schedule. We talked about it before. It's not all that daunting. The Alouette showed a, lot, a fair amount of flaws against Winnipeg, which a lot of teams do. But at the same time, I think we saw those flaws even in their win against Ottawa. So you you can see some winnable games coming up if they can get this this victory here. If they lose this one, then you start looking at the schedule going, well, can they beat anybody? You know what I mean? And then I think next week, if, if I'm not mistaken, is is Edmonton. And, and that's not and a. You, the, if we lost that game, you know, to break the streak at home, uh, the losing streak for the Edmonton Elks, they beat Hamilton. Oh man, that would not. If we lose to Ottawa and then come in here and they beat, uh, I, I can't even imagine that. I just don't want to. No, falling to zero and five, losing back to back games against Ottawa at home and Edmonton at on the road where they haven't won in two and a half years. 
Yeah, we're we might quit doing the show because I just wouldn't <laughs> want to talk about this anymore. We'll just we'll strictly do uh, watch along. We'll we'll just go. You know what? We're kind of finding yeah. every game we can from years past. We're going to cover those instead. <laughs> uh, but this one, I think. Yeah, health is going to be a big concern, a big issue. Uh, for as you said, I will definitely be down there this week. I think they they're back on the practice field tomorrow on Tuesday for the first day of uh, of getting ready for for this week's game. I, I'm I'm going to guess that's that a lot of the six game guys won't see action. I don't think Bo will be out there. I, I just just a gut feeling um, that I have. So yeah, we'll kind of have to wait and see what this team looks like, and then we'll know on Friday what the roster will be for the game. And, uh, we'll obviously I'll cover that in full as well, but, uh, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is not where I thought we'd be at this point in the season. I figured we'd be coming off the bye going to this Ottawa game at worst one and two YouTube. did not yeah. think oh and three. And like I said, I, I know I've said in the past, like I thought this team would start slow, but I did think they did get a win in those first three weeks. Got it. Got you probably didn't think they looked this bad doing no. it too, right? No, yeah. no, not, not, um, I, didn't think I, I just want to say one thing. If, if if Bo Levi Mitchell comes back and he still looks bad, and the, you know this team looks bad with him as quarterback, and, and the and the the season goes downhill with him as the starting quarterback, you have no idea how badly I'm going to rip into Bo Levi Mitchell because <laughs> I didn't like him before he came here, and I, I switched my tune and I said, okay, he's a Tiger Cat now. He's going to lead us to good things. If he doesn't do that, it's going to get ugly. I don't want to preview what could come months down the line, but if he comes back and he looks terrible and this team doesn't do anything, I, I say he's one and done. I'd get rid of him. Yep. I mean, here's the thing. Do. If this if this team continues to lose and, this, and they decide to rip the Band-Aid off and just start over, I think you start over everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think yeah. any one player is safe. I think you, you just – you rip this down to the studs. And if you got to be bad for a year or two, you're bad for a year or two. But I think you have to, uh, you'd have there'd have to be some wholesale changes. It's one thing to, to go eight and ten and make the playoffs and go on a run there and then make all these changes. But if you make all these changes and you're still not, or if you're not as good or even worse, like if they go six and twelve or something like that this year, then it's it's time to just start fresh and and give someone new an opportunity because they've they've. They started so hot with with Orlando, and it's gotten progressively worse every year since. So if this is what this team's going to be, it might be time to start anew. But that's that's for months down the line. I'm hoping we yep. don't get there. I'm hoping at the end of the year we're we're all super happy that they made the trade and we're celebrating uh, a Grey Cup victory just like we did in 1999, which is probably an episode of uh, Watch Along we'll do at some point, watching the 99 Grey Cup. But yeah, uh, this game, they they got to get a win. I, they got to get this win. Like I said, not a must win, got to win. Things could get mighty restless around these parts if if they lose this one and then go into, I believe it's a Thursday night game in Edmonton. So a short yep. week against another team that'll probably be winless. I, I think Edmonton, who does Edmonton play this week? I think they play, is it Saskatchewan again? No, I don't think so. They can't play Saskatchewan the second time. I think it might be. Uh, I think it is Saskatchewan. Gonna, oh, they play okay. Saskatchewan on Thursday. So they're going, they I get think my run. mom and I might be the only people in that stadium on that Thursday night game. Oh, for the Ticats game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you very well might be. You have your pick of seats then. That'll be, that'll yes. be nice. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, look, I think the Riders are probably going to beat the Elks this week. So if the Ticats lose, both these teams going in winless, that that could get ugly. The loser of that is essentially out as far as I'm concerned. I know it's a CFL mm-hmm. and 0-5 start to BC Lions, blah, blah, blah. Get out of here with that nonsense. This is a guy to win. If, if they get this win, I don't care by hook or by crook. doesn't matter to me how they get this win. If they look ugly doing it, so be it. They don't ask how. They just ask how many. 
get the first one, and then hopefully that can start some momentum building into the uh, the rest of this summer schedule before we get to Labor Day with some. Again, look at that schedule. There are some winnable games there for sure if this team can get its act together. Uh, so that was it for Podski Wee this week. I have been Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.